All right, so, Mary, last week you asked a question about the Apostle Paul and the robbers. And you were wondering when, where that may have occurred, and I don't have a clue. Um, in, in, in looking into it this week, the only thing I was really able to come up with was Paul mentioning it, obviously, and that the word, the Greek word used to 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 talk about robbers, was also sometimes translated as highwaymen. And is sometimes translated uh, in, in, to basically mean those who lay in wait. And so his his entire description certainly makes it sound as if it was a very dangerous situation he was in. But where it was or where it happened, we don't really know, as far as I can tell. And uh, but it, it really paints this picture of men who would lay in the ditches and wait for someone to walk by and then pounce upon them. So in the morning we do like a children's devotional with the kids. Yeah. And it was talking about in the Good Samaritan story, they thought Jesus was talking about the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. And that stretch of road is really treacherous because there's a lot of places where people can lay in wait and attack probably the people going to Jerusalem for Probably so. Like <coughs> yeah. So I was wondering if it mentioned in that area. You know, if he said, I was leaving Jericho, or I was... Yeah, I, nothing nothing specific that I could determine, um, and I didn't find any commentaries or anything that elaborated on it, but found plenty of elaboration on the word robbers and uh, and, and, and how it was interpreted and, and what it may or may not mean, and uh, just to try to, to you know enlighten his description a bit more. Uh, but, but that's about all I got, so... <laughs> Yeah, no, without a doubt, I can I can definitely see the see that reminding of the Good Samaritan. Yeah, was was his nephew? It might. It, I, I'd have to look it up too because I'm not. I, I'm not entirely sure that that was the case. Um, but you, you're probably right about that. Uh, and and so those. And yeah, those. So those, those people might be the people he's referring to. Or when he was left you know, over the basket. Yeah. Now, they want him dead. Yeah. So so I don't. We were reading about that, Jim. Thinking about. I guess the what we read here in Acts, it sounds like those were the, the Jews were trying to kill him then, and so when he was given a description, is it, is it in First Corinthians he's given the description about the robbers, Mary, where he's talking about the robbers? I forgot where it was. Yeah, I think it's First Corinthians he's talking about it, um, where he's given the, the list of things that he has faced, uh, and so it makes it sound as if he's talking about on his journeys. There's been. He's basically been attacked by robbers or are these highwaymen. And we were just looking for a specific instance. But, you know, he could have just been referencing these things that we've already kind of talked about. I mean, but but I, I can, you know, we can we can go all different directions with it. I see the connection to the Good Samaritan and, and I see the connection to what to what Jim says as well. And then the, in, in John, at the end of John says, you know, these things are written, but uh, 
if we wrote down everything about Jesus that there was, there wouldn't be enough books to Exactly, yeah. <laughs> So there's a lot of things. There's a lot of stuff that happened that we don't know about. A lot of stuff that happened we don't know about. God's given us what we need, right? <clears throat> John, that's in 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians, thank you. That's where he lists it, but he doesn't go into detail as to what actually happened with each perilous event. No, he does not. He does not. So yeah, it's in 2 Corinthians. So we know he faced an awful lot, and we know that that uh, when and was it in chapter nine or yeah, chapter nine when uh, we were reading about about Paul and or Saul being converted. Uh, we also know that when God sent uh, Ananias to witness to Saul, that he said, "I'm going to tell him how much he will have to suffer for me." And uh, Paul's life was not easy. And he willingly took everything that he had coming uh, in order to be obedient to God. I read, I read something, I forgot who said it now, but I read, I read a quote that said, when it comes to obedience, um, you can say no and you can say Lord, but you can't say no, Lord. Says you can't put those two things together and, uh, and, and be obedient. If God's calling you in a specific direction, um, you, you you have to go, and as we've talked about in here before, even even though Saul was such a, a bad person in our eyes, and in, and when we look at the accounts in Scripture, in his mind he was serving God, and so once he, once he was enlightened, he became uh, an incredibly dedicated servant, and of course eventually made his way to uh, the Gentiles to spread the gospel. Um, we have made ourselves all the way, or made our way all the way down, I believe, to, did we get to chapter, the, yeah, we finished out chapter 9, we sure did. So we're going we're gonna to jump into chapter 10 then, because the last thing we talked about was um, uh, Peter staying, <coughs> I think, staying with a, with a tanner. And um, so now we're going to get into the first Gentile that has received salvation. And um, I want you to think about this for a second because we find that Peter was very prominent in bringing the gospel to the Jews after the, the day of Pentecost in chapter 2. We find that he, he, was, <clears throat> he was the main preacher who was present. And we also find that in um, uh, Samaria... He was the one who came and along with, I think along with John, and laid his hands upon the Samaritans so that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And now we find that he is the one who is being called in chapter 10 to bring the gospel to Cornelius, the first Gentile. And it's interesting that Peter continues to be the one who is instrumental in opening up these doors um, in each of these situations. Why, why Peter and not somebody else? I ask that question because I don't know why this, this never occurred to me or I never, uh, uh, never realized it until reading 
actually last night I was reading back through uh, Wearsby's commentary on, uh, on some of these events. And he asked the question, why Peter? Oh, that's interesting. Redeem himself? Right, redeem himself. Redemption. Uh, yeah, I don't know if there's a connection there. I'll tell you what Wearsby said, and I find this interesting because um, in um, I'm looking for the reference. I think it's in Matthew, Matthew 16, 19 is where I think it is. Jesus tells Peter that I will give you the keys to the kingdom. And so as Wearsby is writing his commentary on each of these accounts throughout the book of Acts, he says, and we find Peter once again using the keys to the kingdom to open the door to the Jews. And now he's opening the door to the Sumerians. And now he's opening the door to the Gentiles. And so he's, because he, he, he talks about how if you really look at it, it is Peter who is, the, is the, really the first one to to really unlock the door and and now we're going to see Paul come in and do the rest of the rest of the work if you will. So, I found it interesting, but I kind of like your, your your take on uh you know, let's let's give him an opportunity for redemption here. John, yes, ma'am. Could also be when uh, Jesus asked uh, who the people say I am and he answered Christ, the Son of the Living God, and the response was that man had not revealed that to Peter, but rather the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had. So it could be the Holy Spirit working through Peter that um, he was able to do. Yeah, and 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 you know the, the Holy Spirit. I guess I guess we we have to say the Holy Spirit was working through him through all of us, without a doubt, um, and so. If if he if 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 Christ said I will give you the keys to the kingdom, and the Holy Spirit was working within him, he had everything he needed to go and do everything he needed to do. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. Any other comments or questions there before we start reading in chapter ten and read about Peter and Cornelius and Peter's vision and all these things that that took place. Mary. I think from a practical personality standpoint. It seems like Peter was a man of the people, you know, the working people. And Common man. Yeah, Paul seemed to talk on a different kind of uh, academic level that he probably could have gone back and forth with the Pharisees a lot, but it seems yeah. like Peter has a broader, different appeal to him. Yeah, I think I think you're probably right about that. I mean, you know, Paul talks about being uh, becoming everything to everyone so that he could could reach some. Um, so he he would he had a way of being able to to blend in to a level I, I, I would say. But you're right when you read how how they come across in Scripture, uh, Peter does seem to be more of a uh, more of a guy that you would just sit down and have a conver conversation with, whereas Paul's a guy who's gonna uh, who's gonna come in and hit me over the head a little bit. Yeah, so. <laughs> Well, let's read in chapter 10, starting at verse 1, about Peter and Cornelius here. It says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort 
<clears throat> so let's talk about that for just a second. A, you know, a centurion would be someone who is in charge of a hundred soldiers. And the Italian cohort, um, I've read, could have been as many as six or ten um, uh, six or ten groups of a hundred soldiers. And then I forget how many it would be that make a legion uh, over and above that. Uh, so, so the point of that is that Cornelius, being a a centurion, is is someone who is is paid more than the rest of the soldiers. So he has a little bit better lifestyle. He's a bit of an a bit of a, an elevated person uh, in society, if you will. We can get that uh, from from learning his position. But it also tells us that he was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. So he was a man who, even though he's not a Jew, he's, devo he's devoted himself to Jewish practices. He's devoted himself to, to prayer time. He's devoted himself to, um, to fearing God and respecting God. And he's devoted himself to giving to the poor. And so these are all activities and actions that you'd find the Jews doing. However, we know that even though he's doing these things, he's not saved. So he's, he's, he's doing what the Jews do. He's following along this, but he's not circumcised because he's a, he's, he's a Gentile. And, and, and he's, we know he's not saved because Peter is, is, is going to bring him the gospel. So in verse 3, it tells us that about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. So God's noticing what he's doing. Says, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So an angel has appeared to him because the Lord has found him as someone who is who has been doing things to memorialize or, or at least to um, to draw attention to God. Again, he's not saved, but God is going to save him. And he says, you need to go and get Peter from Joppa and bring him over and there's something going to happen. And so Cornelius has his servants as we said, he's, he makes more than others. He has people that work with him. He has folks he can send, soldiers he can send. And he has sent them to Joppa to get Peter, <clears throat> who was staying with the tanner by the sea, and have him come to him. Now, now um, again, I'm not sure where we get this. I, there's a lot we have to put together. But I'm going to quote Wearsby on this as well. Wearsby says that this is 10 years after the day of Pentecost. <clears throat> so it, so from the, from the time that the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost onto those present, 10 years have now passed and 
a lot has taken place. We've got a lot of people here who have learned a lot, a lot of people who have become devout Christians. The gospel has spread to several areas. We have Saul who has now become, you know, become Paul, become a believer, and he is now prepared to do what God wants him to do to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And so Peter, as we say, is opening the door here. Comments, questions before we move into Peter's vision. Mary? It's significant that he's Roman and the Romans killed Jesus. But I also remember at some point didn't they say, surely this is the Son of God? And I wonder, you know, with him being like a, a senior official, if he could have known the people that respect Jesus. Yeah, possibly. And I also wonder if it's important that the Italian regiment, I wonder if that means something. Like, to me, it seems like maybe they were Italian people uh, in charge of uh, subduing that area. Perhaps, yeah. It was probably like, <clears throat> of the bad guys from, from the perspective of Peter and Paul and the, the Paul. So, so bringing salvation to this man, perhaps, could have an incredible effect to a group of people who really need to see this happen. Yeah. So not only is are they bringing the news to the Gentiles, they're specifically bringing it to the Romans first. To the Romans first, yeah. Yeah, no, that's interesting. To, interesting observation. And it's quite possible, quite possibly, well, again, we've talked about how God is working in Acts chapter 1 through 10 in a very unique way. There are things we see happening in Acts chapter 1 through 10 that we don't see happen anywhere else in Scripture. And, and, and so, you know, God's orchestrating what he needs to orchestrate to get the church established. And so he gives Peter a vision, starting in verse 9. He says, it says, The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Let's just go ahead and read on through this here. Verse 17 says, Now while Peter inward, was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, <clears throat> having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. So he sees this vision. God tells him essentially, it's, it's interesting to me that he's hungry for starters. So God is, 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 is working in a very interesting way. He's going he's to use this hunger and <clears throat> get Peter's attention in this vision 
to lower down and show him all of these things. And it's his way of communicating to Peter that uh, basically there's no division anymore between the, the Jews, the Gentiles. In Christ, all are the same. So once a believer has accepted Christ as their Savior, then they're in Christ. It doesn't matter if they're a Jew. It doesn't matter if they're a Gentile. It, it doesn't matter where they come from. Everything's, everything is washed away. So we start talking about what's clean versus what's unclean. When it comes to people, God is saying there's no division when it comes to Christ. And in that process, he's preparing Peter to be able to go and talk to Cornelius and bring him the gospel. So he's, he's wiping away these preconceived notions that Peter has and, and, and letting him know that when you're called to go, you go. And so as soon as that vision is, is finished, these, these people show up and inquire, where is Peter? And Peter says, okay, I get to go now uh, to the house of Cornelius. So in verse 19, it says, And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Verse 21, And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by all, the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. So God prepared Peter's heart to answer the call to go to Cornelius and give him the message of the gospel. So again, this is, this, is, this is how God is working to get his church established, to open the doors, um, to get, get the Gentiles uh, brought on board. Um, so let's, I guess we'll just finish reading through this. We're going to run out of time, I think, uh, to do too much else. So it says, The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So he's got a group there waiting to, to meet with him. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too am a man. So in other words, don't worship me. I'm just like you. Verse 27 says, And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them, Why you sent for me? <clears throat> and Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house 
at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in a house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. There's a lot of information and repetition here. <clears throat> and I almost think it's because they're wanting us to really understand the scene. And, we're in, and, and, and God is really wanting us to understand his hand in all of this. So we get this, this constant reminder that, that God has seen Cornelius. God wants to witness to Cornelius. God tells Cornelius to send people to get Peter. He prepares Peter to come, tells Peter to go. Now they're all together, and it's about to happen. And this is a big deal because we have a Jew who's not even supposed to be talking to the, uh, uh, to, uh, the Gentiles to begin with, and he has willingly come to enter into the, to Cornelius' house and witness to him and witness to those who are gathered. It's a, it's a, it's a major occurrence. <coughs> and I cannot keep my voice today, guys. Um, but Peter has now the opportunity to say what he's been called to say. Uh, anything before we move on there? Okay. We'll get into this a little bit more. Verse 34, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. So... Mary, that actually goes along with, with what you were talking about. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went on doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jew, Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. <clears throat> So what happens when he witnesses to them? What happens when he tells them this good news of who Jesus is? In verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised who, were, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. 
Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So let's pause for a second. Again, we talked about God is doing some, some amazing things. He is building blocks of his church right here, right now. To interpret this rightly, I do believe we look at what happened with the Gentiles and how when the Holy Spirit came upon them, it looked the same as the day of Pentecost. This was, this was the evidence that the Gentiles too were saved. This was the evidence that the Gentiles too, <coughs> excuse me, now had, had, had the gospel had come to them. They were now a part of the family. And I don't want to, I don't want to go too deep into that. It's 1042. It's probably time for us to kind of wrap up. But comments, questions, and we'll, we'll kind of go through this a little bit more next week and uh, talk about it some more. There. So let me see if I've got the building blocks right. First, the Holy Spirit comes to the apostles. Then Stephen preaches to the Jewish people. Yes. Then the Samaritans from Samaria. Yes. Then the Romans specifically, then the Gentiles. We'll get into that. Yes, exactly. Yes. So that the that's the order of operations here. Yeah, that's the order of operations here. The, the one little odd thing in there is the Samaritans hearing the gospel, believing, but not receiving the Holy Spirit until Peter comes with John and they lay their hands upon them. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. It is not. It's. Uh, it is a separate occurrence. Yeah, separate occurrence. Yeah, it was pretty. Yeah. <laughs> it's like here you go. I'm going to pour it out to you. Well, the thing is, he doesn't even get finished. He's got more to say. And the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit comes and it, it just interrupts him. He doesn't get done. And uh, <laughs> there was there was more to talk about, but that was enough. It was enough. And it and it and their hearts opened up, and they received the Holy Spirit, and they were saved. And things start from here. Um, so we'll 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 go into it some more and talk about it some more next week. Um, but it's a, it's an it's an incredible event, and uh, we don't want to over overlook it and uh, and minimize it. Anything else? All right. Well, thank you for this morning. Um, let's go ahead and, and close in prayer and head on in. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity this morning to discuss things. Uh, Father, just help us to stay in your word each and every day, Lord. Just give us the, um, give us the desire to dig deeper and give us the understanding so that we may just grow as Christians, Lord, and uh, come to know you better. Uh, thank you again for all that you've done, Lord, um, as we depart from this room and enter into the sanctuary. Lord, just remove the distractions of our lives and help us to focus upon the word this morning that, uh, that you've laid upon uh, uh, Brother Doug. And uh, we just look forward to hear what he has to say. And as always, Lord, we just pray that uh, your kingdom will be furthered. In Jesus' name, amen.